This is Christy with Life Struggles. Thank you so much for coming to listen to our show. Today's guest is Christopher, and Christopher is a retired police officer and undercover officer. In this episode, Christopher will be talking about some of the struggles that he went through, and then that continued on to some more struggles with anxiety and depression and drug use and alcohol use and how he has conquered them and what he did to do that. He's raw and he's real and you'll love him. Also, I would appreciate it if you like the show, if you will follow us, rate the show, and then share it. And also, we're looking for new people with new struggles. So you can send me a message at strugglesarehard at gmail.com. And also, if you get on my Instagram, it is struggle underscore winner. And you can message me there if you'd like to be on the show and you have something that you can give to others to help them with their struggles. Thanks again for showing up. Enjoy. Hi, this is Christy with Life Struggles. Thank you so much for coming to listen to our show. Today's guest is Christopher and Christopher is a retired police officer and undercover officer. In this episode, Christopher will be talking about some of the struggles that he went through and then that continued on to some more struggles with anxiety and depression and drug use and alcohol use and how he has conquered them and what he did to do that. He's raw and he's real and you'll love him. Also, I would appreciate it if you like the show, if you will follow us, rate the show, and then share it. And also, we're looking for new people with new struggles. So you can send me a message at struggles are hard at gmail.com. And also, if you get on my Instagram, it is struggle underscore winner. And you can message me there if you'd like to be on the show and you have something that you can give to others to help them with their struggles. Thanks again for showing up. Enjoy. Hi, this is Christy with Life Struggles, and I have a special guest today, and his name is Chris Kozlowski. Please help me welcome Christopher. Thank you. Hi. How are you? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Good. So, I would like for you to tell me, first of all, what your biggest life struggle is. Oh, my biggest life struggle, I would say 
keep staying strong during my sobriety, during tough moments in life still. Okay, so you have an addiction? I did, yes. I still have it, yeah. And so what, Not kind, of, what kind of addiction? It was alcohol and uh, pain pills ma- mainly. Okay, so then we have alcohol and drug addiction. So why don't you why don't you just tell me how it all started? It started. I was a police officer for twenty years, and out of those twenty years, ten of those years, I worked undercover. I worked undercover uh, child trafficking, uh, drug related um, incident, and you know buying drugs or putting people away from jail, dealing with gangs and stuff like that. I did that for ten years. Um, and during it, you know, as, as you can imagine, as a cop, you come across a lot of traumatizing things that you have to see and you have to deal with. And so, you know, at the time I was married and I was going through all this stuff and I was drinking very, you know, light, wasn't very heavy. You know, my pill use was at a minimum, wasn't very high. Can you tell me something really traumatic that was that in particular that you remember that you were having a hard time dealing with? Yeah. I had one, one guy uh, shot himself in the head with, with a gun on one incident. Another incident I was taken. Um, I was tired to where they, they stuck a gun to my head and was threatening to kill me. And they were fake dry firing the gun to uh, put fear into me. So those are two of the top ones that I remember to this day. Okay. Still old deal with. Okay. And so at the time when my, I was, you know, I was married, um, went through a divorce. Uh, it was, it so wasn't wait easy. A minute. Wait a minute. So mm-hmm. was there already things going on within the marriage or, or was the, did the problem start with there was stuff already going on at that time? Okay. Um, my, my way I was coping was a huge problem dealing with things. Um, and that at this point, I was starting to slowly self-medicate with alcohol more than I normally would or with pill use or anything like that. So it started to build from that point. So this was as you were trying to deal with a couple of traumatic events in your yeah. job, then also yeah. some problems in your marriage. Right. And then, you know, of course, dealing with the depression, anxiety. Um, Okay, so you also had depression and anxiety? Yes. Okay, were you diagnosed with those disorders? Or yes. Is that something? I was diagnosed with them. And so did they medicate you for them? Uh, I, I didn't take anything for them. Okay. Which I do not recommend. It's not a very smart thing. But now it is something that's part of my lifestyle is my mental health. Mm-hmm. And that we've taken my medicine that... I take from my doctor so okay okay but so okay so you weren't um you were diagnosed with it but you weren't taking any medication for it so you're medicating basically yourself with probably illegal drugs and alcohol yeah and and as you can imagine as an undercover you know the drugs that I come across and um I never was into like heroin or stuff but there was times as undercover you had to deal with those things Mm-hmm. so so but I was never my main drug of choice was alcohol and pills for me okay what kind of pills 
um, oxycodone, uh, Vicodin's. Mm, Vicodin's a biggie. Yeah, here they, here they, we used to call them when we would buy them, you know, working, we'd call them hillbilly heroin, the pills, the oxys, because they were a little bit, believe it or not, the pills are actually a little bit cheaper than the heroin. Mm-hmm. All but I understand that a lot of the heroin users start out with the Vicodin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're ox, mainly oxys, oxycontins and stuff like that. Yeah. But what's what's the other name for oxycontins? Um. So like Percocet codeine. or there's oxycodone. Codeine, the codeine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but I understand Vicodin has um, the biggest percentage of addiction and the yeah. hardest one of the hardest to get off of like I've read, straight getting off like yes. you slowly have to get off yes that's that's i mean just think of all the things that are powerful out there and just to deal with something that a lot of people mainly get prescribed to them you know what i mean this, this is crazy I've had three surgeries and each time they tried to, well, the very first time they, that's what, when I woke up in my room again. So I kind of remember the recovery, but not much. But when I, when I woke up in the room, a nurse came and brought me to Vicodin and I asked her what it was, which I, I didn't know what Vicodin was at the time, but she's like, Oh, it's just something for your pain. And, um, she said, you know, you're going to need it. So you might as well just take it. And I took it and it, I have a very low tolerance apparently for, Okay. and so I had like hallucinations from it. Oh, wow. It was, it was awful. It was awful. I could not wait for it to get out of my system. And when she like four, I think I was supposed to get it every four hours. So when she came well, first of all, I kind of freaked out. Like I buzzed her as soon as I started having hallucinations. Oh. I'm like, what did you give me? And then she explained it and I, and I told her what was going on. And she said, you must have a low tolerance. You're the first person I ever met that had a, a reaction like that. I knew that, that you could have them, but I never met, met or talked to anyone. Well, and then when I tried to sleep, I would go into like nightmares, but then they would become real. It was not good. Yeah. Wow, I can imagine. Um, so can. that was if I could go to sleep, but mainly it was like a, 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 a what do you call it? A, so it reacted backwards. <laughs> like it, it, instead, it did, I guess it did take the pain away, but right. most people that I talk to say that like, then they can go to sleep on it, but it made me hyper. Yeah, so if I heard- did fall asleep, I would have hallucinations. And then I'd wake up and then I'd be all shaky. So when she came well, four hours later to give me, I'm like, uh, you know what? I'll just deal with the pain. If that's all oh, they're going to give me. And I, I've every since I've had two more surgeries since then. And I just say no pain pills. I don't want anything. I don't blame you. That's how long. <laughs> but that's because I didn't want to, they, they offered me stuff. And I will tell you one time, um, and I guess I could see if that was even a drug you could easily get, that that could be a drug of choice. But um, so my 
gallbladder um, bursted and I, I had infection going all through my body and it was very painful and I was very sick. Um, but it, it happened and like in the middle of the night and then I drove, I actually drove myself to the emergency room and the hospital that I went to didn't have anybody that worked third shift to do um, x-rays of any kind. And so they said, so I got in there at like 3.30 in the morning and they said, everybody comes on shift to do those at 6.30 or 7. But 6.30 was the earliest if they came in. They didn't clock in till 7. So okay. they were going to give me something. They were going to give me something for the pain. And I said, I don't want anything for the pain. Yeah, <laughs> they, knew, they knew what it was just because of my um, blood work that came back okay. and where the pain was. But you're still like they said, you know, before we can like schedule surgery, they still have to do a scan and whatever. But so I said, what what can you give me that is not going to make me hallucinate? And they're like, well, we don't really know because we don't know how you react to stuff. So I said, "Okay, well, so whatever they gave me to put me out for my last surgery, what was that? And so they looked it up and they said, well, normally it's normally what we give everybody. So it's. What is that? Um, what do they put you out with? Anesthesia. Well, but the anesthesia has the, the drug and it has a name for it. Um, oh, um, I can't remember. It wasn't that the same stuff Michael Jackson was taking to go to sleep. Mm, yeah, maybe. Why, is it, why do we do this? Why are we having these brain Profosol? Huh? Profosol or something like that. Eh? No. No, it's very, it's an easy name. Um, oh my goodness. I can't even believe this. I don't know why I'm having brain farts with you. Um, 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 well, whatever. I'm, I'm not going to keep worrying about it right now. But I said, okay, so whatever you would give a baby whatever amount you would give a baby, that's what I want you to give me. And the anesthesiologist said, um, that's not going to keep you under. And I said, so you're going to be standing there, right? And he said, right. I said, so if I start to wake up, put a gas mask over me and put me back out. And so that's what he did. And it, it was just the right amount. Um, I did wake up right as they were stitching me up, but I didn't feel anything. Oh, good. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and I actually got to see them stitching me up. Um, and then the anesthesiologist happened to look over and he saw me looking up that I was awake. And it was kind of funny because he started to bring the mask over and I said, I'm okay. Just let him finish. <laughs> and I, di- I didn't have any pain. I couldn't feel anything. So that, you know, that part was still numb. Um, so, um, I didn't get any more, but so then they took a recovery room and like, so I didn't have any nausea. I didn't have any kind of side effects. I was wide awake. I was able to drink right away. And then they took me to my room early. Like most people have to have an hour in recovery. I, I had 25 minutes. They, they like, we're going to wheelchair me up to my room. And it was only supposed to be like, I was supposed to be in there like six hours. Right. Okay. And uh, 
I said, well, can I walk? And they're like, well, you just had surgery and you're medicated. It's probably not a good idea. And I said, well, from what I understand, it's better for you to start walking to get all that out of here. So it's not, doesn't settle in your lungs. Right. So um, I don't feel dizzy or nauseated. So if somebody can just walk next to me on each side, I'd like to try to walk. So they were like, okay, you're going to be sorry. But I walked and when they, when we got to my room, the nurses come right in, you know, to, you know, finish whatever their paperwork. And um, so they said, well, so we got something here for your pain. And I said, I don't need anything for my pain, (laughs) but I want to walk. And they're like, "Um, you probably should lay down for a while. And I said, no, I want to walk around the nurse's station three or four times. And they're like, honey, you just got out of surgery. You're not going to be. And I said, I would like to hold on to somebody and walk. Walk around. They let me. And within an hour, they called the doctor and they're like, she's walking all over, not taking anything for pain. We might as well let her go home. And he said, okay. So I went home. Um, So I have a low intolerance for pain or for medications, period. Right. So that's a plus for me. That is a plus. That's a huge plus. Yeah. Cause it just, I'm, I'm afraid to try anything. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm opposite of that. I wasn't afraid. <laughs> wasn't. <laughs> okay. Mostly- so go ahead. So I just wanted to tell you that part. Um, yeah. Well, my addiction, you know, it wasn't from doing anything illegal. It came from legal prescriptions and everything at first, you know? Um, so you were getting prescriptions. Yeah, I was getting a description of, of, do, of injuries I had, you okay. know, from a car what, dealing with. What kind of injuries did you have? Uh, neck uh, neck injuries, shoulder injuries. Um, I had several head injuries. Um, I, was stabbed, I was stabbed before. I was shot at before. So I had a, a lot of stuff happen. But my main injury that I was being seen for was neck pain. Okay. So go ahead. And so, and as I started, you know, just living my life, um, doing that, I was going through a divorce and went through a pretty, pretty bad child custody, uh, battle. And through that somewhere, I, I don't know when, but it's almost like something like a switch flipped in my head or something. Okay. And um and that's that's when I started abusing everything. Um alcohol, you know, the pills. So you didn't have any side effects when you were actually combining the two? I wasn't, no. Now, should have I been doing that? No. But I didn't have any type of reaction or anything bad or side effects from that. Okay, so continue with your story. I'm I'm looking up my word. Oh, okay. Um, so I battled with that. Um, was hit pretty. You know, I was hitting myself pretty hard. Um, because the reason I started taking alcohol more is because of of the lie that, you know, that it tells you. You know, I took it because it helped me forget. You know, helped me forget about the pain. You know, get rid of the pain. 
of going through a divorce, going through child custody. And so, you know, I started taking it more than, you know, then I realized, you know, spending all my time at the bar, you know, it was cheaper just to buy everything and keep it at my house. And then I was just, you know, I just basically just uh, ran amok where I lived and just stayed, didn't leave nowhere, didn't go nowhere. And um, then it came time for me to realize, you know, I, I needed help. I, I needed to do something. I just didn't know how to do it. So, um, so around that time, I started to look into rehabs and, and see what a rehab could do for me. Cause I knew of rehabs and stuff, but you know, I, so rehabs for the alcohol and drugs or for your pain for uh, alcohol and uh, drug and the pills. You have to, it's drugs. Or drugs. Well, pills are drugs, right? Yeah, they are, but uh, I don't know. It's, to me, not that there's a difference because there's not. It just, uh, to me, for people to understand, that's why I say pills, so they know that's a, a pretty big ordeal, you know, being addicted to it. That's why I say pills. Okay. You know what I mean? Like drugs, when you think drugs, you automatically think heroin or cocaine you really don't necessarily a lot of people don't think of pills that way no and see when i hear drugs the first thing i think of is pain pills because that's the, the, to begin with that starts until they get to a heavier yeah yeah and so i think of that first and a lot of times that doesn't go further than like the vicodin or the well it usually goes further with um the tylenol codeine to the vicodin yeah and then the Vicodin, if if they're starting to use it um, because it just plain takes away any kind of emotional or physical pain right. um, and their body. And, and from the people that I've talked to have also said it's given them even um, a good feeling. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes they would just take it to feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's why it's so addicting. Yeah. Um, so yeah. to me, that's just a drug addiction. Right. I understand. Yeah. And see, in, in my in reason, I, I was scared because I knew my next stop off of taking pain pills is heroin. That's going to be the next stop. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know a lot about heroin. I do know about meth. That's that's my brother's drug of choice. Okay. He's been sober five years now but that's five years since he was 17 and he's 53 Mm -hmm. so all those years uh he started out smoking marijuana um (laughs) and that was that was to start out making him feel better to already hide stuff that was going on and you know it's funny because people think marijuana is nothing now but i could tell from him having one joint and walking in the door that he had had a joint and not because he was hungry i could tell his whole attitude was changed his whole personality right and um as he smoked more it so you know how like some so some people that are drunk um let's just go on that topic 
So if they've had mm -hmm. too much to drink, um, some people get happy and stupid, stupid happy. You know, they think everything's funny and there are jokes or whatever. Um, uh, some get mean. Right? Yeah. Uh, you know, it it just depends. Well, he got with his um, marijuana, he got mean if he mm -hmm. smoked more. And then pretty soon it wow. pretty soon it quit working for him. And so so then he went to uh, Vicodin. Okay. Um, but he didn't have pain. He just heard from somebody on the street that Vicodin would help him feel better. Right, yeah. and uh and so then he went from that and and then he became meth never did drink never did drink oh wow um never had the desire to but so meth was his and he never ever did it in front of us i never saw him high nobody's ever seen him high in our family he would always yeah go someplace else and he would go on a bend okay um and when he was done then he would come home and he would sleep for like two days <laughs> wow and, and then he would be back to normal well whatever his normal is yeah it was his, what his normal was <laughs> yeah so that's so basically I finally when five years ago um he hit rock bottom and begged and pleaded with me to move in with me because he had he had no place to stay anymore he was homeless okay. um even the homeless shelters were kicking him out and let me tell you that's like so hard to do to your I did it to my dad and right. and then I and then I had my brother to face with and I had given him over the years probably five times that I took him in and I took custody of all three of his children um, when he was younger. So, and raised them. And, and then finally he was this last time, which was five years ago. Uh, my youngest son would have been 15. And I said, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have my son watch you leave and not come back for days because he had gotten really close to him. And I said, I don't want him to see the life that I had to grow up watching. Right. Right. I want him to know about it. So hopefully someday you'll tell us about it, but I don't want him to experience it. Right. Um, yeah. I understand. And so I said, uh, I, and the last time he had stayed with us, he's, it, it didn't matter if he, even if he had a good job, he'd run out of that money so he wouldn't pay rent that he was supposed to, and he would steal from us. He stole yeah. my jewelry and he would sell it and no conscience whatsoever when he wanted to get high. Now afterwards was different. I mean, he and he cried. Yeah. And it just quit working on me. I you know, I just got so tired of it that I was yeah. done. I was done. Yeah. And so yeah. when he asked me the last time, I said, part of loving somebody is knowing when to say no. Yes. And yes, I said, I never thought I would have to do this again after dad, but no, you're on your own. And 
he's, you know, he begged and pleaded and whatever. And I, and I cried and I said, I'm sorry, but I can't help you be an addict. And that's what I'm doing. Right. Exactly. Um, even though I put rules down in the whole nine yards, he broke them. So, yep. you know, after the first time, really, I should have said no more, but it took three times. So then it was no. And he, he didn't, he didn't, he had already like, he, I was the last person he wanted to ever ask. So I was always his last hope anyway. Gotcha. So once I said no, and that was it, he had, he had hit his rock bottom. Right. So right. anyway, yeah. so how did no, you hit your rock bottom? It, I knew I was there. It wasn't that, you know, it just, I knew where I was heading. And that was more scarier than where I was at at that point. And um, so I knew I needed help. And so I went, I had a friend um, actually help me look for, look for a rehab because uh, I knew I needed help. You know, I, this was longer than, you know, a few hours session. You know, I knew I had a problem. And uh, so I went ahead found a rehab, uh, called, got in immediately. Um, I think within two or three hours, I think I had to be there. And I was there. I was there early. Actually, I was still high and uh, drunk. Now, do they allow you in when you're still? Wait, like three, four hours before they would let me in. So So they don't let you in if you're high. Yeah. And once once I went in there, I hit the ground running like I knew that I was going to make it I wasn't you know most most people you talk to that are in rehabs a lot of them are scared which I can completely understand you know it's fearful sometimes to get sober it can be and um and so I just I hit the ground and just went running I I wanted to be get sober so bad because you know, I was there for 32 days. And so that's 32 days I was away from my children. And that was enough to, to kill me. You know, it was enough to make me sick, you know, for not being in their life. And it's not because anything anyone's done. It's because of what I was doing. You know, they took me away from them. But I hit the ground running. And I actually had to do, um, it was a struggle at first after I got a rehab. Mm-hmm. I, I did rehab. I did well in rehab. Um, how many weeks did you have to sign up for, or was there a time? 32 days. 32 days. Okay. 32 days. Um, well, that's one more day than in a full month. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. So yeah, I was there 30. I don't, I don't know why it was 32, but they, they talked me into staying 32 days. So most of ours started at six weeks around here. What's that? Most of ours started at six weeks around. Oh, now I've heard some like nine months and stuff like that. I'm saying they start at six weeks. And if you're not ready, then they extend and they just keep extending until you're ready. When I was waiting to get into rehab to the one I was went to, the one I was going, going was not, was nine months. Like I had to be there. What state are you in? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah. And so. So I hit the ground run. So I had to do things a little bit different because you got to remember, 
you know, AA meetings I had to do differently. Now I'm not telling anyone not to do AA. I'm not advocating that. I think AA and NA is very important, you know, for people. I'm just saying for myself, I had to take a different step because, you know, what was I before I went there? I was undercover cop and I was a cop for years. So I arrested, if not all those people in the AA. And, and that could was, be very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very uncomfortable for me. So, you know, I sat down with my mom and dad. We worked out a plan of being accountable. Uh, I spoke with my pastor and, you know, I was right under him. Um, regarding that, that I report to him, no matter what, you know, he was going to do the tough love. My mom and dad were going to do the tough love with me. You know, there was no screwing up. It's success only. And so for the past, since 2017, um, you know, I've been clean since 2017 and it's, you know, been wonderful in my life. Now I still deal with depression now for some reason people think i don't know why this concept is but i know a lot of people think well when you you know, get clean you don't have any more depression you don't have any more anxiety or anything like that i don't know why people assume that but they do huh. and but i still had to deal with stuff. and i had to deal with it sober so that meant you know i felt the full fledged thing that's really strange because um depression and anxiety are actually two different disorders Mm -hmm. and don't don't necessarily have to do with any either one of those it could be a reason why you would take pills or or alcohol but those are totally separate disorders yeah yes it is so um I, i i couldn't find i kept searching for that medication and then just out of the blue, it came, it came up. So um, it's morphine. Oh, morphine. They put you under with morphine? Now that's not the complete anesthesia. Okay. Um, that's what they get. That's what they give you to put you to sleep before they give you the anesthesia. Oh, I never knew that. Um, and that's what makes you sick to your stomach. The morphine. Well, that makes sense now. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So like I told them they had to give me the. So I got one milligram of morphine. Right. Which is for a baby. Seriously, a baby. So I always say, give me the baby dosage. (laughs) Yeah. And, And I get no side effects. And then and then as far as the anesthesia part, then I tell them the lowest amount that you can give me. And I all three of my surgeries I did wake up um but it was always at the end so well, it's the beginning <laughs> well yeah but I'm just saying so I didn't have to have extra right I know I understand. So, so I would get sick but it, definitely it's better than in the beginning yeah <laughs> the, but the stuff that's in the anesthesia is a numbing for pain too so yeah, see, I, that, I'm unfamiliar with that. I'd see that's first I heard. I didn't know they gave you morphine first. Did not know that. That's your, um, it's just stronger than Valium, but it's got some pain medicine in it. Yeah, yeah. So, well, um, uh, minor, minor surgeries they'll give you beforehand, you know, for anxiety or whatever, Xanax or Valium or something like right. that. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Candy, yeah. I, yeah. 
at at one point I went through a panic disorder and it was actually from a medical condition. It just came out of nowhere. And, and of course, every doctor I went to said, oh, you're just depressed. And I'm, first of all, I wouldn't be in denial if I was depressed because I'm, you know, I got my degree in psychology and I'm a life coach. I know all of all the things to look for. I was not depressed. Um, the things that were happening were real and I could not get one doctor to do anything, but say, that sounds like depression. We'll give you something for depression. I'm like, I'm not going to take depression medicine. I'm not depressed. Right. No. And I think it was after a year when I was like so bad that the last one that said, just try it, just try it. So I said, fine, I'll try it. And I tried it and it had the adverse effect. And the next morning when I woke up, I felt nothing. Oh, wow. So when I say felt nothing, I guess I now know what a severely depressed person feels. So I feel happy. I didn't feel sad. I felt nothing. Yeah. And that was the worst feeling in the world, which means it had an adverse effect on me. Okay. So I called the doctor right away and I, and it wasn't my usual doctor. I had tried five different doctors and I said, okay. And plus they told me that it would take two weeks to get into my system. Oh, isn't that, isn't that killer knowing you have to wait that long? Well, but it didn't. Yeah, that would be for somebody that was depressed, but it took, it it took less than 24 hours to affect my system because Mm -hmm. what, because I wasn't depressed. So I said, you know, this is, this is what I'm feeling now. Nothing. So I'm not taking any more of that. And he said, fine, I just don't know what to do for you. So it just so happened like six, six weeks later. So I was pretty bad by then, but six weeks later, I had my yearly gynecological appointment and I was to the point where I could no longer walk um, without somebody helping me. I was so weak. I had to have somebody come in to shower me. Um, I was married, but my husband worked out of town and actually we had a business together and I, I couldn't go with him to do our jobs. We renovated Marriott hotels. Oh, wow. Okay. All over the United States. And it was really fun, but I, I couldn't do that. I could not, I couldn't even get to the bathroom myself. I couldn't even crawl. So um, thankfully my girlfriend, um, was not married. She didn't have children and she was a nurse. And so she came and stayed with me. Um, and before she, so she worked first shift. So before she left, she got me in the restroom and she got me breakfast. And, and then her lunch hour, she would come home and bring me lunch and take me to the bathroom. And then she, and then after work, she would obviously be home for the night. So she's, she's the one I, I didn't even leave the house because I wasn't strong enough to even go to the bathroom by myself. Right. Um, so she um, took me to my uh, gynecologist appointment. And the first thing the gynecologist said, when I walked in the room, she said, Oh my God, what's happened to you? And I said, what? And she said, you look like death. And, and I had lost like 40 pounds. Um. Anyway, I looked horrible. 
And she said, what's going on? And I said, I wish the heck somebody would find out. And she said, so tell me what's been going on. So I told her and she said, has anybody checked your thyroid? I didn't even know what a thyroid was or what it did for you. And I said, nobody even did blood work. Every doctor I went to when I told him my symptoms said, you're depressed automatically. You're depressed. And every one of them, I said, look, this is this time I have the best marriage I could have. We make plenty of money. We don't have any outstanding bills. We're happy. We're, we're doing the thing that we always wanted to do, travel all over and work at the same time. And, you know, when we got off, we get to see all these new cities and do things. And I said, I'm not depressed. I would know if I was depressed. And I would say, I'm depressed. So there's something going on and nobody will check. They just assume I'm depressed because of what I'm telling them is going on, which was extreme tiredness. And then I didn't even tell them the very last one because when I got so bad, when I got to the worst part of it, when actually, uh, when uh, so I'll just get back to my gynecologist. So she said, well, I'm going to do blood work and, and check your THC, TH1 and T4, which is for your thyroid. And I, do you know anything about the thyroid? No, not really, no. Okay. So it's located in your neck and it actually controls your brain, your heart, everything in your body. It tells it what to do. So um, I had a um, goiter that was sitting up against my thyroid is what they found in the x-ray. But you're, so you're normal. So everybody's thyroid can get off. Um, normally it's caused by a, a cancerous tumor or some kind of noid, like I just explained or, and so anyway, um, you can fill it. It, it actually, if you fill, it feels like an Adam's apple on a man. That's why my voice is deep because that's up against there. Um, okay. so, you know, before the test results even came back, my gynecologist felt around in there and she could feel it right away. And actually, if you press on it hard enough, it hurts. Um, so, you know, they were really pressing. So it almost feels like you're being choked um, because there was something on it. Okay. So it was closing it. Anyway, um, she, when my levels came back, she said, okay, so I'm just going to explain this to you. So, you know, why you're feeling like death. So your normal thyroid should be between one and five those numbers. So okay. if it's a hypothyroid, then it would be uh, over five. So plus right. numbers. And if it was a underactive, then it would be a negative right. value. My thyroid count came out at 375. Mm. Um, she said that she's never heard of anybody alive with that high of a number. So she immediately called the hospital, called a specialist and told them to, that, to be at the hospital waiting for me and had my girlfriend take me over. So then I had a specialist, which is called an endocrinologist. And he, every single question he asked me, I had, and every single one of those symptoms, I told those other doctors, but they were MDs and none of them 
thought of a thyroid. But he, every single one question he asked me was, yep, yep, that's a symptom I have. Yep, that's a symptom I have. The very last one, which I was very embarrassed to tell any doctor, which wasn't until the end. You ready for this? Sure. I had nightmares that I was killing people. Nobody I knew. And it was horrifying. And I thought I'd lost my mind. I've never, ever thought about hurting anybody. I, I'm like, got the kindest, nicest heart there is. Mm-hmm. And to have thoughts of and dreams, nightmares of killing people. I knew if I said that, they'd put me in the same asylum. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, you're laughing, but when, when I, when this specialist asked me that, and that was his last question, he said, so are you, are you happening to have any kind of strange nightmares? I just was like, oh, thank God. And I said, yes. And he said, are they bad? And I said, they're really bad. And he said, I, and I started crying and he said, you don't have to tell me about them. I've been dealing with this with years. I'm a specialist. He said, but what I will tell you is as soon as I get that thyroid under control, you won't have any of those things anymore. And he said, and then it's probably a good idea that you didn't tell that one because there are doctors that never check the thyroid and automatically assume that you are insane. And women are, and this is mostly with women um, when the, when it's a hypothyroid that high um, are put into insane asylums mm-hmm. when it's a medical condition that could have been taken care of. Right. Um, and they end up dying from it. Because they, they're not medicated for it. So um, he first had to check to see if it was cancerous. So a needle about this long was stuck through my throat with nothing to numb it. He just said, we got to get, we got to do this fast because I got to get you started on your medication to get those numbers down or I'm going to lose you. That's how close I was to death. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he stuck it through and, and had it, you know, they had a lab right in the building and it wasn't cancerous. So he said, that's a good thing. We don't have to remove it. Um, so he said, as long as it doesn't grow, it just stays the same size, then medication is what, and obviously it'll be the rest of your life. He said, the only thing is with that sitting there, you'll probably always have panic attacks unless I have you on a medication for panic attacks. Okay. And so I have been on medication for thyroid, my thyroid, and it has stayed the same for all these years. And it's been 31 years. And, and for the panic attacks, which are caused by the um, thing on my thyroid. um, And I've been on the very same dose, haven't changed that dose either. It's just a 0.25 once a day. And that's controlled that. So I do have to take two medications, but I'm going to tell you when he told me about it's Xanax, when he told, Mm -hmm. when he told, well, no, first he said Ativan and he gave me an Ativan and I freaked out. Like he gave it to me for a week 
And in that third, on the third day, so I didn't have to be hospitalized after the first day. He sent me home and I had the prescription and um, every two weeks I was going to have to go in and he was going to have to recheck so he could adjust the medication because he said it was a slow process to get it right to where it should be. Well, because I was so high, my level was so high, he put me on a strong dosage and it made me again, the opposite. And I went hyper, Mm -hmm. hyper thyroidism. And I, I didn't sleep for three nights or days at all and shook. And I called him and I said, okay, I can't do this. Can't go to sleep at all. Right. I wasn't hungry. I wasn't nothing. So he said, okay, so I got to take the dosage down. Um, But there again was that my sensitivity to medications. And so I didn't even think about it when I told him about that. Well, then with the Ativan on my third day, um, I went to get some groceries. And I was in the grocery store walking and all of a sudden I didn't know where I was or why I was there. That's how it affected me. Okay. So I had to call somebody and have him come get me and then take me back to his office. And I'm like, that's not going to work. I didn't even know. That was scary. Not knowing where I was. Yeah. Not knowing why I went there, how I got there. So then he said, you know what? You, you weren't kidding when you said you had a low tolerance for medication. So he went to the 0.25 Xanax, which has been absolutely perfect. The only side effect, I don't have side effects whatsoever. The only thing it's done is take the panic attacks away. Right, right. Yeah. Or control them, I should say. I've, never, I've not had one now in 25 years. So anyway. So I can't be addicted to drugs because I can't take them. Yeah, you have some crazy side effects with them. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess I was blessed with that. I I would say it's definitely a good blessing to have, that's for sure. Okay, so when you um, came out, you, you went through, did you go to AA meetings? I did until... Um, it became very uncomfortable because people were starting to figure out who I was and remember me and stuff okay. like that. So after that, I met with my pastor, uh, spoke with my mom and dad. We we sat down, worked out a plan, uh, and I spoke with somebody that was very active in AA that knew my story. You know that you know I, me being a cop and stuff was kind of uncomfortable to be at these meetings and stuff like that. So before so, we continue, and I want to ask you, so were you diagnosed with PTSD too? Yes, I'm diagnosed with that as well. Okay, go ahead. And um, so, you know, we did a program. I stuck with it. I still do it. I don't, you know, I, I, I still stick to it five years you know, down the road. I still stick with it. I still do it. Is this a program somebody came up for you? Uh something to help so something would work for me so I would have something I wouldn't say it's a program out there it's not a program out there it's something yeah that someone kind of helped me with for myself yeah but it's not like you know you can buy a book of it or anything like that it was just something that you know we sat down we worked out because I was serious about 
being sober. You know, I was dead. Can you share was, that with us? What, what you do? Can you share what, what I, you do? I, uh, I still, I had meetings, but they weren't AA or NA meetings. I went to, uh, I would meet with my pastor. Uh, okay. He would have just meeting just for me. Okay. Um, you know, we would do scripture reading because I'm a Christian. So we did scripture reading and, you know, stuff to help me with my walk with Christ as well. Okay. And, um, and of course I, I had, uh, someone that was my, uh, sponsor that I still kept in contact with, but understood that I was going somewhere else. So, so I was able to still have that accountability with couple people. Um, right. You know, so if you couldn't get a course, hold of your pastor, you could get a hold of your sponsor. Exactly. Okay. And vice versa. It was the other way around. Mm-hmm. And so it worked out great for me. Um, like I said, I still, you know, I still do it and I still deal with things, you know, you know, with anxiety. I still, you know, I still have that. And, um, but I, I'm learning how to work through life with it. You know what I mean? Okay, so then we need to know what you're doing to work through it. So what I do is mainly is meditation is huge. A prayer, okay. uh, huge thing for me. Music is another huge thing. I I done things that I've done all my life since I was a teenager, since I was a teenager, but then realized wow how therapeutic this would help me and you know with my walk of staying sober. So music would have to be the number one on my list for how I cope with anxiety. Um, Cause I write I'll sit and write a lot of songs or I'll just play music till I start to get a sense of relief or, or I start to feel somewhat better. And so when I start you to, say play music, is there an instrument you're talking about or, I, you, or something that you listen to? I play all kinds of different instruments, but the main ones that I play is uh uh, guitar like that would be the one I would use to sit down with like if I had to do something right now I would sit down with the guitar and just play music uh, I work a lot with church music I'll rewrite a lot of church music mm-hmm. and so definitely a huge huge part of my list for you know working through depression working through staying sober so that's a huge thing that works on all levels for me you go to a prayer group Mm. Uh, we used to have one when I first started. Um, we it's not as uh, big right now as it was, but I still, you know, I, I still COVID has something to do with that. Yeah, a little bit, and so, but you know, I still was able to do my even COVID's not an excuse though. No, I so. understand. I'm <laughs> saying that it would it would be like you. Not not have a meeting in a building with all of you together. Like you'd have to do a Zoom call. But I I still I still stayed in contact with people I needed to stay in contact with that you know had my sobriety, you know that was important to them. You know Mm -hmm. so you know of course I had I still had to do you know like friends I couldn't keep the same friends I had to get rid of all of them to be honest with you. Um. So, you know, and there's, you know, and I still, you know, I haven't done it for a while, but I used to say the serenity prayer all the time. Mm -hmm. I I learned that in rehab, you know, that's where you learn that. I was first induced to that rehab. You know, that, that, that serenity prayer is in any kind of addiction. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I did not. That's awesome. Yeah. 
go ahead. But, but, you know, I still, like I said, I, you know, my, I, I get days where I'm depressed and I use music and, 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 and I have people now in my life, you know, I didn't before cause I had to get rid of all of them. Now I'm replacing all the old friends with all these new, wonderful people in my life. So was, the, was there a period between getting rid of the old and getting new where you were alone? Yes. Oh yeah. There, there was a, I, I'm not sure how long, but it was a period of time. I bet you that was hard too. It was hard because like, like, you know, I think there's something about once you start getting sober, you start seeing who your true friends are or something like that. Oh, I, cool. I, I, wrong, but I'm sure. But was, they're all drinking buddies. Yeah, exactly. And you have to get rid yeah. of them. Yeah. So I, I replaced it with good people that cared about my sobriety. And, and, you know, there were people I could call right now if I needed to say, hey, I really need to talk. And you definitely and I, have to stay out of bars. Yes, that was number one. But that's been since five years ago, I've been out of bars. So that's pretty good. Um, but, you know, I had someone, I had my uncle. I was very close with my uncle and he was part of my recovery. And uh, and he passed away. He was someone I would, I could talk to one two in the morning six in the morning you know and you know of course he passed away due to covid about about a month ago now and so and and so now i'm back i'm not as bad as i was like with you know replacing people i just have people that you know i i just got to call you know when i get to that point where i need someone to talk to again and i'll call them Mm -hmm. you know it was just nice having someone at your you know, right there with me whenever I need it and family too. That that was a real nice, for me, it was nice that way. And uh, so I still do that. I still talk, I talk my problems out. I, and then, and for me, my mental health had to get right for my sobriety would work. So my sobriety would work if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I had to take my medication. I don't, a lot of people, well, I feel great today, so I won't take it. And so they don't take it and they get messed up from not taking their medicine. They don't stay on a level balance. So is your depression, is that something that that is hereditary or was that caused by something? It was caused. It was caused from the type of line of work I was in and, uh, and stuff like that. Okay. And so and anxiety, the anxiety, anxiety, the same thing. Yeah, it came so from the same. Is there other things that what you went through that um like today would cause you anxiety? Um no, because uh, I I'm trying to think what anything specific. I mean I still get the normal anxiety, like I'm running late. I mean, I still get that. You know what I mean? That oh I'm running late, I you know, don't want to be late and stuff like that. A lot of people like I get a little bit of anxiety and that. But stuff right now, um, like my uncle passing away, that was a huge, you know, hit to me. And so that's something I, you know, with that depression and anxiety kind of hit a little extra heavy around that time when he passed away. But as long as I do what's been working for me and what's worked from day one, I, I have no fear of that. You know, I, I, my... I remember one time Mike Tyson, you you know who Mike Tyson is. Of course. And he was fighting and they asked him, how do you like, because this is when he was winning. This is when he was on top at the time. 
And they asked him, what do you, like, how do you, how do you win all this? He goes, I simply refuse to lose. He goes, I refuse it. And I was like, well, I'm going to adapt that into my sobriety where I just simply refuse to slip. I refuse. And so, and I, I keep that mindset as well. So, you and, know, just, just a little, little thing here. You didn't bring it up, but um Mike Tyson, I absolutely could not stand. I thought he was like the meanest, most hateful yeah. person there was. Um, but he turned his life around. He did. And I he don't did. know if you've ever watched any of his interviews because he, he does, he interviews people. He's a big difference now and then, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Now he, st- he sounds damaged. He sounds brain damaged. Yeah. From all of his fighting. But, you know, and he still cusses or whatever, but he, he believes in God and he uses his faith um, and preaches his faith. Right. So totally different person. He he is a person. I've noticed that. Yeah. But yeah. So I adapted that to what he would use in his fights that worked for him. So I took it and used it for my sobriety. So. Okay. Well, gee, you should send him a little note and tell him, even though that wasn't a good time in his life, you took those words and used it to make it good. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) That's great. Okay. So why don't we just sum up then? And obviously, obviously um, these things aren't going to be for everybody. Uh, just like so I know this from my family and myself so for AA meetings um, I do recommend them however you can't always find one that's right for you yes Um, and it does have to be right for you or it's not going to help you Um, and that's not just AA but we're talking about alcohol so that's what I'm saying that you know there's grieving groups and and I promise you I went to a grieving group I took my sister when my brother died my sister-in-law and I mean we left there going okay we would never go back to that again yeah you know um so you need to find one that works for you and if there's not one any close then I would do what you are suggesting. And if you go to church, reach out to your church. Yeah. And see, see, first of all, a lot of churches have programs themselves. Yes, they do. Um, and then yeah. if you get a small enough church, a lot of times the pastor can help you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have the education to help you. So that, that could be good as far as, um, if they knew a little bit about it, but maybe they're just going to talk to you about your faith and your faith is going to be what's pulling you through. That may not be enough for somebody all the time, which is why you need a sponsor too. Yes. So even if you can't find a AA group, you at least need to find a sponsor. Yes. Somebody that you can call when you have that urge Yes. Um, so, and then you do. You, you said you you pray. Do you and you practice meditation? I pray. My meditation is prayer. So okay. That's, so different thing. 
Yeah. Um, Cause you pray, but I suggest med- meditation too, just as a relaxation thing. Right. Um, and I, I hope, and I do put it in the notes and I do do a little thing that um, we are not by any way telling people this is the way, you know, that you should do stuff. We're just right. giving some options of what has worked for us or other people that we know. So clarify that, but let's just go through. So I went through, um, you've, you found a group, you've, but then you didn't. So you right. went to a, a pastor and you have a sponsor right. and you, um, use your music. Yes. Um, that's your go-to. Exactly. Yeah. And your faith. So was there anything else that you use? No, that was it. Those were the fundamentals that I used, yeah, to help me still and which still helps. So that's awesome. Yeah. So do you know of um see these are things I learned from Alan on. So like, do you know that you shouldn't take NyQuil if you have a cold? I I know not to take it since I had a problem with alcohol. Right. That's only right. To take. That's what I'm asking you. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Then yeah. A lot of people don't know that that are alcoholics. There's not anybody that's told them that. But I I remember when my dad, after my dad went through recovery and started going, it was at his AA meeting that they actually, well, they they had tested him and it actually showed up in his urine test. And he said, you know, he kept arguing with him. I did not do any alcohol. And, but he did have a cold at the time. And so they said, have you taken any cold medicine? And he said, well, NyQuil, you know, my coughing would stop at night and I could sleep. And they said, "Uh uh-uh, no NyQuil, got alcohol in it. So, and, and there could be other ones. I, I don't know. That's just the one at the time. And that was years ago, years ago. Um, so there could be other cough medicines that have alcohol. In yeah. it. I don't know. I, well, it's the only thing that I'm thinking of right now. I'm so, like you said, there's, I'm sure there's probably other ones, but I can't really recall what the other one. I don't think Robitussin or anything like that has. Well, that I would thing. just say, check the label or ask, yeah. a, or ask a pharmacist. They would know the best, the pharmacist. Yeah. But to me, if, if you're an alcoholic before you took anything for coughs or colds, I would check with the pharmacy. Yeah. That would be one of the things that I would suggest to people. Yes. I think that would be huge. It'd be a huge thing. Cause That'd I don't think, great. I don't think everybody thinks about that. I, I would have never known. My dad would have never known. No, I, and it's even as simple as, you know, I had to watch what type of mouthwash I even get. Right. You know? Right. So it's very, it's very crucial that you pay attention to that stuff so then i think in general we should say before you take any type of medications or anything that you're going to put into your body that you need to check the labels oh yeah yes i did that very thoroughly for for a while yeah okay so is there anything else that you would like to add no that's all that i could think of at this moment okay i i think we're going to wrap it up um but I would like you to give our audience, um, if if you don't mind, um, I did notice, well, give me your Instagram. Oh, it's Sober Coffee Dad is okay. the Instagram. I think you have a little bit of a story behind that too, don't you? Um, my friend, I was trying to, I wanted to do something with sobriety. 
and for some reason, uh, Instagram, and I was thinking on Sobron, and I came, I seen a couple of people's profiles on Sobron. I'm like, oh, maybe, you know, I could do something on here. And also, I use it as, you know, I have my number on there I, that I have up there in case people ever need someone to talk to. Okay. And, there, so, so, and has anybody used that? No, not yet, believe it well, or not. How long have not, you been on there? I'll, like, I think this is my second week. Okay. So that's, so, okay. That's it'll get out. Um, I haven't, I, I saw a quick bio. I don't know what else you have on it. Um, but what if somebody did call you? I mean, maybe you should add a little bit to it. Like if you, if you're feeling alone, if you're feeling like drinking, if you feel like you're going to go off the wagon, I don't know. What, what do they call it? Fall off. What do they call yeah. that when you fall off the wagon? Oh, falling off the wagon. <laughs> Is that what they still call it? <laughs> yeah, falling off the wagon. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I I mean, change. Is, um, that, is that what you're trying to do is, is help? Well, for, yeah, help anyone. It's someone that needs help in recovery. Um, anyone that just, they don't have no one to talk. Cause I know, cause when I was going through that transitioning of going from AA to church and trying to, you know, put people in place, you know, it was hard not having someone to talk to at first. So I guess I'm kind of asking you that because I'm not sure that I would want um, somebody that's depressed calling you because you're not qualified in that area. Well, no, no. Like I said, it's open to whoever. I understand what you mean. And of course, I would definitely put them in contact with people to okay. continue on. But I'm mainly there as if you just need someone to talk to. You know what I mean? Uh, just need to blow some, you had a bad day at work, you know, just stuff like that. You have well, that's problems. what I think. I think you need to put on there so that people will call you. You you need to kind of clarify if it just has your phone number. Um, mm -hmm. And the only reason I'm saying that is because I don't even have that on my bio. It is in there for contact information. Right. Um, obviously. And that's, that's for me with podcasting, but I, I get phone calls for men that are just interested. Yeah, I, I don't know? think. And so you could possibly get calls yeah. like that. And maybe you don't mind, but if that's what it looks like, a lot of times that will steer people away too. Yeah. But if you yeah. specify what you're doing right. for that, I, so that's just a suggestion. Mm -hmm. Um. To, good. to look at so that some because um it's great to have somebody out there that a perfectly strange person that doesn't know who to reach out to or how to or maybe doesn't want to know that person they just want to talk is a good idea yeah um so i commend you for that thank so, you so so you're called super or i mean so, i'm sorry sober oh. coffee dad yeah and and I think you started saying why you got that coffee in there. Yeah, well, I I'm a co I love coffee. Just love coffee. And, and my friend, she does Instagram where she travels like to different coffee shops and rates them and stuff on Instagram. Mm -hmm. But she came up, well, you need you know your your thing that you want to go with, which would be sobriety, and so you need to add something simple with it, or or I forget how she put it. Yeah. But so 
coffee. So that's how we came with server coffee. And I'm a dad, so. Okay. Um, and I, you know what? I was supposed to end that with this, but I, I wanted to know, um, were your children affected by your addiction? They were um, at, at first, but then they, I had to sit down and have a talk with them. You know, once I got a rehab, I, I could only give them a couple minutes a day of trying to explain, you know, why I'm calling from mm-hmm. a rehab. You know? mm-hmm. And um, they were, but then as I sat and talked to them about it and they, they understood, not that they understand that, you know, they knew that I shouldn't have went down that path. It was as simple as that, but I did. And is, the, is it, but is addiction in your family? Yes, it is. So are you teaching your children that? I'm teaching them to stay away from them, not to touch it at all. <laughs> but have you explained to them the hereditary genes that yeah. could happen? Yes. Okay. And so that's I, another thing that we want to suggest to people that have genetic addictions. Yeah, I spoke to, I also spoke to that as far as my ex-wife regarding that too. That's something we had a conversation about, mm-hmm. you know, for yeah, my, my son's 16, my daughter's 12. Mm-hmm. I, my son's in a high school life right now. So, mm-hmm. so, but yeah, I had to, I was, I had a very serious talk with them about it. So. Okay. Well, listen, um, thank you so much for being thank on you. here. Um, I, I probably won't be done editing until tomorrow. Okay. And so, uh, so I will post something then. And I want you to share, share, share. I want you to everybody you can think of to share, copy the link well, and share it. Um, we want to we want to get this out there so that people know that they're not alone. Yes, that'd be great. That'd be um, huge. We want them to know that there there are ways and there's everybody has different ways so that's why i wanted you to name your ways everybody yeah. has different ways of coping with exactly their life struggles right so again i thank you so much for being with thank us you. and yes, I, I will talk to you soon i'll talk to you later okay thank you